My guest this week is Stephen Knight from Pimento. We talk about his one agency, many flavours approach to marketing solutions. Welcome to episode 250 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate it. Episode 250. Do you know, I'm sitting here thinking, should I be celebrating another milestone? 250 episodes. That's a hell of a lot. That's over five years worth of weekly episodes. Now, I celebrated episode 50, I celebrated episode 100, and I celebrated episode 200. So, Maybe we'll just let 250 go by without too much fanfare. But there's one thing you could do if you like the show, if you're a regular listener to the show, please go to iTunes and leave me a quick review. It only takes a minute. Go to rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and just leave a review. Again, I'd really appreciate your help and your support. So this week, we're going to talk about marketing agencies and how they interact with marketing departments and how that model has changed over the years. So let's get straight into that interview with Stephen right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Stephen, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Afternoon, Roger. Good to meet you. Stephen, tell me, where are we Zooming each other from? Now, I'm based in Edinburgh, as always. I'm uh, down south, I'm afraid I'm actually west of London, just outside of Ascot. Fantastic. Stephen, you are the CEO of a virtual agency network called Pimento. Great name. And we'll have a little chat about Pimento and how that develops in a, in a while. But uh, we're going to have a think today about a drag and drop approach to marketing and, and maybe why the era of the specialist has never been more important in the marketing communications industry. But before we get into those specific topics, Stephen, give me a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed, and basically what makes Stephen Knight tick. Thank you, Roger. Well, I've been in and around the marketing world for coming up for 35 years now. I started out in advertising agencies, mainly in the West End of London, a range of agencies, uh, Dorlands and then Lower House Spink. Um, and eventually WCRS, and uh, really spent my formative years working on car accounts, um, international business. I ran the BMW account for nine years and really enjoyed working with the Ultimate Driving Machine campaign. Um, and then lastly, I was then involved in um, the opportunity to work for the Walt Disney Company, working for the corporation rather than an individual line of business. Um, based in Paris, I spent five years at Disney, uh, three over in Avenue Montaigne, and then two years back in lovely Hammersmith, which wasn't quite the same, <laughs> but um, it was an evolving brief, starting working in um, the uh, brand management area and eventually ended up as the CMO for Europe, Middle East and Africa. So I've done the kind of client and agency side and I've worked both above and below the line. Um, but it was at my time when I was at Disney that I sort of dreamt up the idea of Pimento and uh, that's really um, how it all came to be. Disney's fascinating brand, obviously, and, and funnily enough, this is a bit of a coincidence. But I was I was talking to another podcast guest a couple of days ago, and we we actually started talking about Disney. This is completely coincidental, and and the subject of our conversation was the launch of the Disney 
subscription channel, which of course is is just recently been launched in the UK. And and the conclusion that we came to was was that whilst there was a fairly significant fanfare when they launched Disney Plus in America, and obviously there was the Mandalorian and all the Star Wars films and the Avengers films that was wrapped up in the marketing campaign, the UK campaign seemed to be a little bit lacklustre. And we actually didn't realise we just we couldn't actually work out why, whether it was just our personal opinion or whether it was just as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Have you got any thoughts on that, given your connection with Disney? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, like you, I, I think Disney, whenever it launches any products or any new lines of business, um, it, it puts a considerable weight of activity in the US and their home market. And intent is always to try and ensure that the overspill, particularly on social, is global in nature, and therefore they, you know, they, they benefit from that large investment over there in international markets. Because the UK and the US is so aligned when it comes to people's um, beliefs, when it comes to the Disney brand and, and the brand's reputation, and they're able to drag and drop, as to use your phrase from earlier on, a lot of their content or their marketing um, activity in, um, over to the UK market. Mm. Um, I'm familiar and I've seen the TV commercial, which I think is very effective. Um, I think the price proposition, uh, $5.99, is bang on the money. Um, mm. And arguably, there couldn't be a better time to launch a product of that nature when people are in lockdown and they're desperate for great content. So my understanding from people I've spoken to in the business is it's been a tremendous success. Um, and the level of investment here was really born out of the fact that, A, um, they knew it was going to be successful having um, seen what happened in the US. Um, and it's carried its own momentum in terms of both PR. So a lot of the art media has really driven uh, subscription levels. Of course, now they'll package it with other um, product services, and you've seen that already with some of the um, what they're doing with some of the telcos. So, like all these things, I mean, Disney all Disney ultimately are always successful, and it's very rare for Disney to to to, to make a mistake. Um, and the brand is so powerful, the content is so good, the uptake, particularly amongst families, of that particular proposition, I suspect, will be very strong. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, I suppose I've made one of those fundamental mistakes of, of having a look how they've approached a different market and assumed that they would necessarily have to approach it the same. But of course, the UK, whilst we speak the same language, we are often separated by lots of different cultural uh, cultural differences. So, so Stephen, let's have a talk about, let's have a look at Pimento. It's a virtual agency network. And, and, and you said you came up with the idea for this whilst you were working at Disney. Was there a, a light bulb moment where you were sat in a coffee shop or a pub or a meeting or something, and that was when the light bulb went off and you thought, right, that's the future, that's what I need to do? Yeah, and I can't put my finger on the actual moment it happened, but one of the things I was very conscious of was that we had um, very, very good agencies working with us at Disney. We also did an awful lot in-house, um, and it was just at the point really where agencies were beginning to specialise and there was a fragmentation of the full service concept. Mm-hmm. And, and digital was really becoming, you know, highly specialised and highly diverse. Um, and yet we couldn't get any consistent advice from our agencies because they were inevitably going to protect their own core discipline. And therefore, whatever the question was, the answer would be, well, I'm the advertising agency, so the answer to your problems, Mr. Disney, is advertising. Or yeah. I'm the direct marketing agency, and it's, it's all about, you know, one-to-one communications and so on. So trying to get that kind of perspective on in terms of basically channel management and having consistency across multiple touch points was the challenge then and it's still a challenge today um you'll probably see in the last few weeks that um david golding and james murphy have launched their new agency and that their whole mantra is about actually managing the customer journey from the initial point of contact 
right the way through to, you know, refer a friend type campaigns mm-hmm. um, and ensuring that every point in that relationship, there is a consistency um, and a personalization um, and creativity, most importantly, that will actually ensure that the customer has a fantastic experience. And agencies, you know, back in time when I was at Disney, really were struggling with that concept because they were just doing their little bit of the uh, the journey and very focused on obviously driving as much value as they could for their businesses and inevitably also it meant that larger agencies in particular, particularly amongst the groups, um, therefore were in conflict with each other. Um, and because of the way in which they got measured and the way in which they earned their bonuses was about revenue share and revenue growth, there was a reluctance to share and work with other agencies. So mm-hmm. my, my thought process was, you know, in that sort of situation, and given that agencies ultimately are there to serve their clients, there has to be a better way in which clients can get better value and more consistent and objective advice um, across channels and also be delivered with more consistent messaging and also reduce duplication. You know, there, mm-hmm. in every agency, there was a planner, you know, and, and therefore each of one, each and every one of the account planners, you know, were duplicating their efforts and therefore that was costing the client a lot of money. So we started with a premise that if you're going to do this, you can only do it if you're working with independent agencies, ideally owner managed and run. Um, and the reason for that is, because they have a vested interest in collaborating, working with other agencies, working on behalf of the clients, and have recognition that they're only as good as their last job. Whereas the groups, unfortunately, whilst you know, they were still performing very well, they weren't able to both react quickly, more importantly, deliver value for money. And as I said earlier on, they weren't happy to play in the sandpit nicely. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we took that route um, when we started Memento. Um, and what we tried to do was to find the best in practice practitioners in every single discipline. And today we have something like 100 different disciplines. And we've really sort of gone down to sort of niches and micro niches to ensure that we've got the best people in each of those spaces. Um, and the way we do it is we will you know, cherry pick from that talent pool and create bespoke teams on behalf of clients. So if you've got uh, if you've got a, a campaign which requires a little bit of content, some social media activity, and, and let, let's let's focus right in, it was Twitter, for example, and you also wanted some traditional advertising. You would effectively pick the three people from your network and create a team out of those three, and they would be the ones to bring that campaign to life. In essence, that's how it works, and it doesn't necessarily be people; it could be agencies. You know, mm-hmm. so. Working on a project at the moment, we've got 16 different agencies delivering different aspects of the campaign, all of them specialists in the area they operate, and all of them working as one, as a single team, under the direction of one account director. And the client's getting exceptional talent, more senior people than otherwise would be the case if they were working with traditional bricks and mortar agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's beautifully coordinated and, and seamless from the client's point of view. So in effect, um, we can become their marketing department if they don't have one. If they have an existing marketing department, have talent, and they have gaps in their talent and services, we can fill holes and we can um, join up all of those activities. Um, and in the past, and quite recently, we've actually also put people into businesses, into client um, offices, when we used to have offices, to, um, to manage those resources on behalf of the client or to work on a project. I mean, most marketing departments these days, and in part because the way the way things have, um, have developed in the last few years, have had to replicate the structures of their agencies. Yeah. So you go back 10, 15 years ago, you know, you'd have brand managers and you would have, you know, marketing directors and you'd have brand assistants, et cetera, et cetera. But it was very focused on brands rather than necessarily disciplines. Mm. Now, if you look at agency organizations or sorry, client organizations, you know, they'll have a head of digital, CTO, chief customer officer, and the chief marketing officer. 
you know, they've had to basically spread the um, roles and responsibilities. Um, and two things have happened. It's added a lot of cost for them. Um, and also, frankly, they spend an awful lot of time managing their agencies as a result, rather than necessarily doing the work they were engaged to do. So mm. my thought process was actually what you really need is what I call T-shaped people leading these teams, people who've got experience across disciplines. Ideally, people who've worked both client and agency side. And they also have to be vested and uh, immersed in that particular category. So it's not enough for us to go to a client and say, we've got the answer to your solution and not have the people who have actually got experience in the category. You know, so if it's financial services, we ensure that the person that's leading the team has got a stack of financial services experience. Yeah. Likewise too with the creative teams that could be working on it and the digital delivery, et cetera. So you know, it's not just about people who in theory can do the work. It's about finding the people who've got the relevant experience like to work together as a team and then with a single point of contact so the agency uh, is managed from a client point of view with one person. And they don't have to engage unless they really want to with multiple layers, talent. They, they can um, look to the person who's accountable and responsible for their business with the assurance that they have the both the responsibility and the incentive to deliver. It's interesting, one of the things that you said there, and I'd just like to, to uh, dig a little deeper, if I may. You mentioned that some companies now have traditional marketing director or that maybe a chief technology officer, somebody who focuses on customer experience, a, a digital director. And on the one hand, I read quite a lot of uh, articles these days that say that marketing people in the broadest sense have almost been demoted from the C-suite or demoted from the boards of companies. I've also heard people say that the marketing profession has been devalued a little, perhaps by focusing more on the tactical side of delivery. So, you know, quite a lot of conversations about marketing these days really are conversations about marketing communications as opposed to what as older people used to call the marketing mix, you know, the good old-fashioned research and products and price and all of that sort of thing. And I, I just wonder whether whether that dilution of the marketing profession is true or whether it's, as you say, it's, it's just a realignment of the different responsibilities between corporates and between agencies and, and effectively the, the, the mediums of delivery that we have available to us these days. Marketing, unfortunately, has always struggled to graduate to the top table within um, certainly FTSEs. And, but in, in larger companies too, um, it's always been as, seen as, I guess, a service provider to the rest of the business. Mm. Um, and very few, very seasoned senior marketing directors make it into, onto the board of, of major major companies. Mm. That said, there are a few exceptions. I mean, most recently, David Weldon, who's just retired from RBS, was a main board director responsible for marketing communications and sat on the board and reported as the chief exec. Uh, but they are few and far between. Um, and there's been lots of speculation as to why this is the case. Um, certainly, historically, marketing was seen as a bit of a sort of a, a sort of pixie dust. It was all, it was about basically <laughs> yeah, dropping the pixie, and it wasn't necessarily a respected function um, within within the organisation. Um, not always seen as a sales function, and also one of the key areas when any recession came or any downturn in the economy, marketing would basically have its budgets slashed. Yeah, um, and yet these days. Because marketing is far more accountable and because you can see a direct correlation between investment and return on investment, thanks largely to, to you know to digital activity and the ability to actually have full attribution, um, it's now become much more analytical, much more data-based, and, and much more of um, a financial function almost within an organization, you know, where 
finance director will understand quite clearly if they make a certain level of investment, there's an expectation they'll get a certain level of return. Yet for all of that, in order to actually be really effective marketers, you have to, as your earlier point, you need to actually look at the complete marketing mix. You need to understand both the product proposition, you know, all P's, as you said, and therefore you need to be both strategic and tactical at the same time. Um, and that requires equal measure of left and right brain. And therefore, there is still an art to marketing. It's not mm. purely about the science. And it's getting that balance, I think, that's essentially very important. The strategic brand function within organisations tends to be something that actually is brought in at the start of a process or there's a rebrand or whatever that happens to be. And that very much is brought in on a you know almost project basis with the average director of marketing or CMO lasting about 15 or 16 months. Mm -hmm. So he or she joins the organization, takes the opportunity to do a review of where they are in terms of brand proposition within the marketplace. Uh, and if it involves you know a, a, a review and inevitably sometimes involves also change of agencies and so on, um, out the back of that, they, they put together a plan in the first six months and deliver and execute in the next six months and then either are promoted or get pushed out the door depending on how they perform <laughs> in the final six months. And therefore, you're left with a performance-led marketing team who inherit the, um, the, the, the clothes of the, the former CMO and the, the brand director, and their job is obviously to execute against that directive. Mm. So the, the, the different functions, and I, I think increasingly we see this, companies are beginning to question the need for a full-time CMO. Mm. They're far more comfortable in hiring in those resources on a project basis to deliver a, a, you know, against that project. Um, they, you know, the cost of hiring a CMO, the cost of letting one go, um, and the fact they're only there on average between 15 and 18 months, it really is frankly better executed by actually getting in a senior consultant to do that on behalf of the mm. company. That's interesting. I've not really thought about it before, but I'm quite pleased with that analysis because it plays right into the sort of, of work that I do. It's, it's interesting. It's reminded me, this is going way, way back to when I first uh, started my marketing career and I, I was working in various uh, sort of product manager, brand manager roles in, in my early career. And I always used to remember briefing agencies. And, and admittedly, in those days, we're talking about the uh, early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, most of the briefs were for either TV advertising, not massive budget TV advertising, it was, it was pretty low-key, probably most of it was print advertising and perhaps a bit of billboard advertising. And it was a frequent thing that we would brief the agencies and we'd have the agencies come in pitch, usually three agencies, and we'd sit and we'd watch them and they'd go through the brief and they'd show us the boards and the creatives and all of that. And a lot of the time I'd be sat there feeling quite deflated and and thinking, no, 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 this just doesn't do, this doesn't fit, this doesn't fit. And and the penny dropped one day. I think we got a new marketing director in and I, I remember saying to him afterwards, I, ju I just don't, I just don't like any of these, these creatives. And he says, we have actually failed as a marketing team because our brief to the agency wasn't covering off the strategic bit. We just wanted them to create, to come up with some tactics for us and we didn't brief them about our proposition our position our offer whatever jargon you want to describe it as and effectively they've gone away and tried to just try to assume try to work out what the strategy is what the proposition what the, the position is and that's why you feel disappointed because it's it's us that's failed to brief them properly and I, that was almost like a pivotal moment for me whereas 
ever since then, I've always said, no, no, no. We Before we have a conversation with everybody, we have got to be absolutely crystal clear what the position is and the product and the price and whatever it might be so that when we brief the agency, they can get on with being creative, which is what we're paying them for, rather than having to try and second guess us on what the strategy is. Now, that's a bit of a, of a long-winded story, but does, does that still happen today? Or or is it is it the fact, just as you've said, the companies are hiring these CMOs either for 12 months, 15 months, whatever it is, or bringing a consultant in, and they're actually doing that strategic bit and then letting the agency get on with the creative? Or do the agencies still get pulled into that area where they actually have to do that work almost on the side? I mean, as you'd expect, there is no consistent answer to that question. And I mean, in, in the sense that, um, where a consultant may well be involved or um, senior CMO, who knows you know, what they're about, then one would hope that you would get a fair brief. If there's an intermediary involved, then that clearly also forces the client into, into creating a, a proper brief. Um, but you would be surprised on how many occasions there is no brief and therefore mm-hmm. the agency has to interpret the requirements of the clients and have to do that um, due diligence and put together both strategy and uh, as well as basically create the brief from which they'll do great work, hopefully. Mm. When I was, I, I did an interim um, position at SSE, the big energy company, and this was about five years ago now. And they had a, um, a head of marketing who had been there for many years, really great lady. And she had never actually done any investment really in, in, in the butterline communications. Everything had been focused on, on product mm-hmm. and it had been you know, putting out products in the, in the energy market. Um, where the propositions on tariffs were um, not always differentiated and um, very price-driven. And they decided that they wanted to invest in brand for the very first time um, and invited me in to do a job initially as their acting head of brand, and then I became their acting head of marketing and eventually their acting CMO for the group. And what was interesting in that process was that, you know, they were spending a joint probably seven to eight million pounds a year in advertising. Mm-hmm. And marketing in general, but they had a great marketing team and all based up in, in Perth and Edinburgh and Glasgow, really great people, but they'd never been allowed to do any proper marketing. They'd yeah. always been constrained. Um, and therefore they didn't know how to write a brief and they didn't know what would look like and they didn't know really where to start. So we, we, we did a marriage of two things. We, we brought in people to help the process and to get things going and started by really looking right the way back to brand's relationship with its customers and to try and identify where they should be positioned within the marketplace. Um, and then we set about basically developing uh, communications um, on that um, on those insights. And in order to execute it, we had to do two things. We had to beef up considerably the experience in the marketing department. We set up a marketing academy, which we did with um, an outside organization. It trained and developed the people we already had and to ensure the people that were brought into the organization had the requisite skills. Um, and we also had some really good agencies and delivered you know, a campaign that was multi-award winning and stemmed the decline in their losses. But ultimately, ultimately, at the very most senior level in the organisation, there wasn't the buy-in and the commitment to build a brand over time. So kind of went back to type. And eventually, <laughs> as you know, eventually they sold the business. But what it did teach me at the time was two things. First of all, that whenever you're given an opportunity, you have a responsibility to people that have been there beforehand and also the responsibility people you're working with and actually extracting the best out of that talent in that talent to, to mold into a single team and doing the same with your agencies. So there is really no light and day between your agencies and the people you work with on a full-time basis. And then you've got a chance that actually by pulling together 
working together and collaborating that you'll create um, a single brand and deliver exceptional work across all touch points. Um, and that's really, I think, the role of the brief these days. It's about articulating exactly the proposition, the opportunity in the marketplace, um, backed by you know, consumer insight that allows you to be able to actually create some differentiation and then doing what I call complete branding at every touch point and ensuring that you execute brilliantly uh, right the way through. And the, the job of the CMO is, frankly, to ensure that he or she has got those resources and are able to basically turn them into a single team and represent them uh, to senior management of the organisation. And, and you know, that's, that's part of the role, it's not all the role, but that's the most important functions, I believe. Yeah. And, and as you say before, to try to get over this age old problem that a lot of marketing directors have, that marketing is often seen, especially by the finance people, as a cost, as opposed to an investment. And it's not an easy job to pull all of those strands together. So going back to Pimento then, um, what are some of the lessons and challenges that you've faced uh, as you've set up this virtual agency network? Um, I think the legacy model, I think challenging the status quo in any any market is always difficult um, because there's a lot of self-interest and people not changing. And therefore, you know, the groups who we come up against all the time um, have a vested interest in um, trying to suggest that their model is, is, is the correct way to work. Mm. Uh, secondly, most marketing directors and CMOs and organisations derive huge pleasure in working with the traditional agency model not least of which, obviously, you know, to be able to, to, to go to some of their offices and, and enjoy the experience of, of working with um, some of the uh, famous global companies. They derive huge pleasure from that and they yeah. also learn a lot. Our model is much more orientated around actually the delivery of the work, much more around um, the requirements of the client, much more embedded in their business. So we, we start from what is the business problem and understand how um, communications can help or not. And frankly, if it's not about marketing problem, it's about something else, then we're equally able to actually work with our consulting division and Pimento partners who will work with the management of the organisation to help define the business strategy. And mm-hmm. that gives us the opportunity to get back in front of C-suite. And that's where you can influence decisions that relate to marketing. So if you're having those conversations with the most senior people in those organisations, you've got a far better chance of success. Going back to my, my earlier conversation about SSE. That is one of the reasons why marketing doesn't sit on the board is because it's not having business conversations. It's having conversations about the colour of the logo and the yes. campaign and, and so on. And increasingly, the consultants are actually getting in the space where agencies used to reside. So they've managed to basically push them off the top table, talk language of business that the finance director, the CEO and other people in the organisation you know, of human resources or readily understands. Marketing, however, decides to basically cloak itself in, 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 in marketing speak, which really doesn't help them either, because not only can they confuse everyone else in the organisation about what they're talking about, but they also have a habit of belittling senior members of the C-suite for their lack of knowledge in this space when they were hired as a specialist. So it's, it, I, I think it's marketing's fault that has been driven out of that conversation. I think the consultants have taken every opportunity to get into that space and increasingly what you are seeing with the consultants, of course, is they're now saying, well, actually, having done the strategy, well, actually, why don't we do the execution too? So <laughs> Accenture and EY and all the others are acquiring you know, decent agencies in that space to continue to obviously in, in, enjoy the, um, you know, the remuneration over a longer period of time. So we've taken the view that we need to be able to actually cover the same space. So we have 
three businesses, our core businesses, Pimento Self, which is, is the execution element, Pimento Partners, which is very much driving business strategy. And then we have a third business called Pimento People. Um, and the role of that organization is in recognition of the fact that a lot of uh, client organizations and indeed agencies are no longer in employing people on a full-time basis, that the whole gig economy, the whole development of the freelance community, such that people want to be able to basically drag and drop and bring in talent as and when they need it. And we've witnessed, we did some research a year ago, and I suspect it's probably dramatically increased through COVID. And what we found was that 37% of the top 50 agencies working in London were peopled, sorry, 30% of the people rather in the top 50 agencies in London were in London were um, freelancers. Right. Um, and of course, with IR35 and, and changes relating to um, how long you can employ these people, there was a real danger um, that the gig economy and the freelance community were going to struggle um, as clients and agencies had to be seen to be employing people on a full-time basis. Now, that legislation hasn't gone away, but it's been kicked into the long grass. So there's a really healthy um, and developing business in the freelance world. And one suspects that as we come to the end of furlough in October, where we're likely to see a dramatic increase in the number of people who are sadly made unemployed, um, we're going to have even more people available to freelance and, and work on an interim basis. So I see that part of the business growing. I see the three businesses operating, collaborating and working together. And I do see clients increasingly wanting to look at alternative ways of delivering marketing excellence whilst reducing their own cost base. And we've seen most of the companies that we work for, most of the brands we've been talking to in the last few weeks, last 15 weeks um, since the lockdown, have had to either fellow people or have actually made the decision to make people redundant. So mm. marketing teams are depleted. There's still gaps in, in, in client organisations. They've still got headcount freezes. In that situation, they will inevitably have to turn to agencies to help support them, assuming they're still going to market. Of course, that's the other reality <laughs> of the research. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in some respects, the, the fact that you've set up this virtual agency network, um, COVID has almost given you um, something to talk about because it's almost highlighted in a, in a way that you could probably never even have dreamed of, the, the way that your model can be successful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had to you know, do our own pivot, and I do hate that word, but we, 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 we thrive on interaction with both clients and agencies and talent. And we have, across year 25 26 different events which are networking events some client-based some agency-based right across the uk um, and this is where we find the opportunities to be able to create relationships between different members of the network and for them to create their own cells within pimento to deliver on part of their clients but only a third of the business that we generate through pimento comes from pimento-led projects where we put together a bespoke team mm-hmm. two-thirds of it is about referrals between the members themselves or people finding within the network other people they want to work with with on behalf of their clients. And because we're not being able to do that, we're not being able to press the flesh. So to date, we, we, we partnered up with the PRCA, who represent, as the name would suggest, the PR and Communications um, Association and the industry, mm-hmm. and also the MAAG. And we've been running up to 16, 17 different webinars and meetings a week over that period. Uh, something like just over 200 uh, events, something like 6,000 people have now joined our various events. Um, and as we've gone through that cycle of COVID, we've been there to support agencies with you know, all the legal issues at the beginning, what they could do, what they couldn't do, how they could basically make claims uh, against various government schemes that were put in place to help their businesses. Um, and then we've had um, HR professionals, legal professionals, finance, M&A, et cetera, there to support them as they've gone through that period. 
and it's attracted a lot of attention. It, it's it's created a new medium for us to be able to communicate with our um, our members and also with our clients. Um, we pitched them one on Zoom, um, global pitches, um, which has been fascinating to, to, to behold. Um, and as as I say, the period and the sentiment has changed through COVID. We've been able to react and anticipate what our members needed from us. So we've done some great work on mental health. We've done some fantastic work on helping agencies to restructure their businesses. Um, we've also done some great work on looking at their systems and their processes and their propositions and using that time wisely. So as we come out of COVID, they will be better positioned as businesses. Um, and that's really important to us because we are really focused on helping independent agencies grow. We're here to support the independent sector and to champion the independent sector. We're in conversations with various partners at the moment to create a new organisation to represent all independent agencies when it comes to lobbying government, when it comes to workers' rights, when it comes to payment terms, when it comes to um, education and development, um, so that each of these virtual agencies and collectives that exist, and there's a few of them now, a few people have sort of copied us and, and done different things, um, all of them ultimately can do their bit, but equally too, we do need an association to represent the interests of the, of the category because the category is growing very rapidly. There's 17,500 agencies in the UK, uh, and not many of those are actually in groups. The vast majority of them are independently run businesses doing their thing scattered across the UK. And actually, by networking with them and collaborating with them, we can really unleash the creative potential that exists. Um, and clients benefit. You know, clients, you know, someone said, it was, it was actually Sir Martin Sorrell was on a call last week with us. He came in last Wednesday afternoon. And uh, rather ironically, uh, he was talking about the fact that his new business is an independent agency. <laughs> it's like the irony obviously wasn't lost in everyone. But what was interesting about what he did say is that, you know, independent agencies are like the future. They're, that's where the creativity comes. It's where the flexibility comes. It's where um, the new ways of thinking and working emanate. Um, and it's important that we basically all support each other um, and find ways in which we can collaborate and learn from each other. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm very excited. I, I think that actually we're all adapting and learning work differently. Um, a number of the agencies that have got um, premises and uh, offices um, are out now looking at different working models. And all of them have been encouraged to survey their, their teams, and their people, understand how they want to work going forward. It's an interesting split. Um, something like 40% of most agency people want to go back into a you know, full-time office. 40% are unsure and 20% are very happy operating from home. There's also a massive generational thing too, we're seeing obviously where younger people are very keen to get back, partly because of the working conditions that they're in at the moment. And they could mm. be working with two or three other people in a, in a, in a, um, a flat or a house on, on kitchen table. And equally to people of my generation are very comfortable operating from our hand. But ultimately, you know, the young learn from the old and the old learn from the young. And it's very important that we create hubs and opportunities for people to be able to actually uh, collaborate and work together so their organisations will actually thrive and grow. Um, someone said to me the other day on a call, very, very good and very seasoned uh, marketing consultant, and she turned around to me, she said, home is where I work and work is where I go to have fun. And <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's really true. I think that's where we're, where we're heading. Yeah. I think, you know, we, we, we need flexible structures and organisations that respect that people are at different life stages, where they are parents and they've got kids, some of them may want to go to work because they can't work from home because 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 of the children. Others will want to work home because of the children. So you've got to recognise that actually, if you put trust in people and you hire good talent and you invest in them, yeah, 
then actually you will end up with structures that are very different, but more importantly, productivity and creativity that didn't exist when you had a full-time employee base or working from a single office. Um, and those days, I think, are gone. And technology allows us to work from anywhere. I mean, we could be having this conversation. I could be sitting in the south of Spain if I could get the blade. <laughs> the reality is, you know, it, it, it's, it's no different. Frankly, also, we're much more productive. And mental issues aside, mental health issues aside, um, you know, we all do need variety in our lives. I, I think there's a lot to be said for you know, these flexible working environments. You know, we've done it safe 16 years, um, and I'm mentally still reasonably um, okay. Sometimes <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I've got a few challenges. But, yeah, I mean, it's... It, it doesn't work for everyone, but I do think you need to give people the opportunity to make their own decisions about how they want to work now. Well, I certainly like the virtual agency network concept, and, and I'll be very interested to see how much more growth you experience after we finally, hopefully, blow COVID out of the water. Now, you've probably already answered this question, but I always finish as we draw the conversations to a close. I always ask this question, what's the one big thing that you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take away from the experience that you've had throughout your career and building Pimento in particular? It's a bit of a cliche, but I think you have to believe in yourself and you have to give give, give yourself the opportunity to fail. And don't be afraid to to fail because from that failure you'll learn from that experience and you'll be able to actually do it better next time around um, and I do believe that now is a great opportunity to actually start something fresh and something new people are far more honest with their assessments far more honest at giving back feedback COVID has taught us to be I think um, far more truthful with each other mm. and therefore I think that creates wonderful opportunities for people therefore don't be afraid that during conference call your dog comes into the room or the cat basically jumps onto the desk. We've all seen it in the last few weeks. People don't care what people buy as people. Yeah. And actually they don't really care where they work from, what they do, as long as they have the ability to deliver and they're passionate about what they do. So I suppose that's what I've learned is be passionate, be creative, throw energy, um, and, and be fearfully honest in everything you do with your clients and with your colleagues and you'll be a success. Yeah, I, I fully I fully support what you've just said then. And again, you know, the, the cat comment is so so true if if uh, this crisis has taught us anything is that there are real people on the other side of these conversations and and zoom and teams and whatever it is has allowed us to realize especially in the b to in the b2b space i guess where there's always been this need for professionalism in inverted commas i think that uh, that professionalism veneer has come down a little bit and we've had a, we've peered inside and seen that there are some real human beings behind these brands and long may that continue. Stephen, it's been fascinating to talk to you this afternoon. So much ground covered and I really do like what you've been doing at Pimento. So I'm hoping that people listening to the show might want to get in touch with you. So tell me what's the best way that they should connect with you. Just drop me an email at Stephen with a PH dot night at Pimento. That's spelled P or I M E N T O dot co dot UK or go to our website and uh, look at the contact page at the back. We're always looking for fresh talent, agencies, consultants, and of course clients. Yes. Um, so yeah, only too happy to, to, to have a chat. Um, we have five partner directors across the UK, each of whom looks up to looks after about 35, 40 members. And these are senior consultants that work both agency and client side, and they're responsible for helping to grow our proposition around the UK. So I'll put you in contact with the one that's nearest to you, um, and hopefully we can find a way to work together. 
Great. And I shall put those links in the show notes for the podcast, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the Marketing and Finance podcast. Great conversation. Hopefully, once we get this crisis out of the way and we start travelling again, maybe we can meet up for a coffee or a beer in London or in Edinburgh at some point in the future. I think the uh, the, the beer or the dram, I think, in, in Edinburgh sounds like a very good idea. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.